0: All right, and welcome to the Lions Guide podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories and lessons learned of our guests, interview subject matter experts, and we review books and other resources to help us establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls, founder of Lions Guide, and on this episode, we've got William Branham, and William is a retired Navy SEAL with 26 years of service. He served on the traditional seal teams but also taught as a seal sniper instructor he led major combat operations in baghdad and across the ambar province and you know after retiring from the military in 2018 he realized that he was suffering from physical and psychological symptoms that negatively impact his well-being and quality of life and we're talking migraines severe anxiety Chronic pains, difficulty focusing, difficulty falling asleep, um, and, and depression were just some of the symptoms he struggled with on a daily basis. And, you know, like so many others, uh, he used alcohol and prescription drugs to mask the symptoms he had, and then he discovered CBD and it, and it changed his life, um, it had such an impact on him. He started uh, Naked Warrior Recovery to bring the highest quality products to the market and teach the get naked mindset. So, on this episode, William and I. Talk about his life as a Navy SEAL, that Navy SEAL mindset, uh, a bit about leadership and his journey that led him to find CBD and go so far to create a CBD business. So if you like the sound of that, before we get started, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lion's Guide. So if you've been tuning in and getting value from the show, then do yourself a favor. Go out to lionsguide.com and join our community, The Pride. For no cost to you, it's free. You get access to all kinds of free exclusive content, including yet to be released episodes of this podcast. I've got reading lists out there. I host live virtual events, um, have a private online community to engage with other growth, growth minded members and much more. So again, this is all free. It's been developed to help you really break through out of your rut and through to your next level that that higher level of yourself by establishing clarity building your courage and being the true leader of your life so go out there check it out now go to allianceguide.com and join today can't wait to have you out there so that all said let's start the show Welcome back to another episode of Lions Guy Podcast. And on today's episode, we have Mr. William Branham, who is a retired Navy SEAL of 26 years. Thank you for your service, sir. That, that's out. That's, that's a long time. Um, so he served in the traditional SEAL teams, but also uh, taught as a uh, SEAL sniper instructor. He's led major combat operations in Baghdad and across the Ambar Ambar province and is now founder and CEO of Naked Warrior Recovery, a CBD company focused on the recovery of veterans and first responders. So William, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for having me. I mean, I feel like we just did like a whole
1: show prior to getting on here. So <laughs> yeah. I was we're like, hopefully we can
0: like regurgitate some of that and, and put into this show. It happens, man. And I've done that. I remember like I talked to someone, we were talking about getting on the podcast. We talked for an hour and I go, we should have hit record, but right. it's all good. We already, yeah. <laughs> so real quick, who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name is William Bradham. Just like you said,
1: uh, I, I, I am the CEO, founder of Naked Warrior Recovery, which is a CBD company, a supplements company. It's also, there's a little mindset stuff that we do in there as well. Uh, I know you do some mindset coaching and things like that. And I'll, I'll give I'll give your your viewers a link. Why don't I just do that right off the bat? Do if it. you go to uh, the website, five seal secrets, the number five seal for Navy seal secrets.com. You can download a a PDF and and it really talks about, you know, how to think like a Navy SEAL and and just give you some tools and techniques. Uh, Just put your name and email in there and then I'll send you a PDF. But, um, you know, we primarily uh, we we sell CBD um, and some super greens and some other stuff. But um, I retired from the SEAL teams in uh, July 31st of 2018 and I like to tell people that was the hardest military mission I've ever been on in my life, and I've done I've done a handful here and there, and uh, and I'm still on that mission. I'm still like I'm still working it out because when I was in the military in in the SEAL teams, and you said it, 26 years, and I was kind of thinking about it one day, and I was like, that's a quarter century. That's more yeah. than a quarter century. And when I thought about it like that, I was like, oh my god, I'm old, but I look amazing, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> um, but. So I became a SEAL because I grew up in, you know, a little town called Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, There's not a whole lot there. I thought it was the greatest place on earth when I was a kid. I was involved in Boy Scouts. I was, um, I became an Eagle Scout. And, you know, I had some good friends there. I liked hunting. And, uh, but I always knew that I wanted to be part of some sort of something that was bigger than me. I wanted to be some part of some sort of military operation uh, unit and you know i was but you know back then i we didn't know anything about navy seals we didn't have internet you know my tv had you know uh, it had two knobs and i was the remote control and so there was like you and then you could like twist that thing around so yeah. 150 different channels that didn't exist and then so i had four channels growing up uh out in the out in the boonies and uh so, but I always knew I wanted to be, you know, maybe I wanted to be an army ranger. Maybe I wanted to be a, a Marine Corps scout sniper. Maybe I wanted to be, uh, a, a green beret. And those were the only things that I had really heard of. I wanted to be a ninja also when I grew up because I watched <laughs> a lot of Kung Fu theater. I'm still trying to become a ninja. Uh, you know, my, my role models were, were John Wayne, you know, in a bunch of Westerns, but he was also a, a, a green beret in the movie green berets in Vietnam. Uh, John Rambo, he was an army ranger. And then Chuck Norris, he was in a movie called Delta Force, and they were shooting rockets off of, like, dirt bikes, and I still haven't gotten a chance to do that. Maybe I will one day. And, and again, I, you know, I watched a lot of kung fu theater, and so I, I wanted to become a ninja also. And then someone told me about... Um, a Navy SEAL. They were like, "Well, why don't you become a Navy SEAL?" I'm like, "Well, what's that?" And it's like, they, well they they, you know, run around in the woods, they blow stuff up, they jump out of airplanes, they scuba dive, they, you know, they're snipers, they do all this other stuff and I was like, and they work in really small units. And I was like, that's that's what I want to do. And then the guy that was telling me about it, he told me that that's what he wanted to do, so I wasn't that original back then. So, uh so I was like, that's what I want to do and he's like, "I also want to fly F14s." like the movie Top Gun. I'm like, yep, I want to do that too. I don't even know what an F-14 is, but I know that we won the first Gulf War through air power, so that all made like, I want to be a Navy SEAL and an F-14 pilot.
0: Because with um, your timing, right, that's early 90s that you're kind of yeah, at this transition yeah. point, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, not to tell people that I'm old, but uh, so
1: the, the summer between, which is when I, between my 11th and 12th grade of high school is really when I've like heard about Navy SEALs and the Navy recruiter also, called me at that same time. And he said, Hey, have you ever thought about joining the Navy? And had he called me six months earlier, I would have been like, hell no. Mm -hmm. Um, number one, what does, I don't want to be on a ship in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Um, they had the ugliest uniforms, you know, the Marines have super cool uniforms. And the, 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 uh, the commercials when I was growing up was like a Marine was fighting a fire breathing dragon with like a sword and a shield. And I was like, well, that's what I would want to do. Um, And so that just like, but, but the only people that had Navy SEALs were, was the Navy. So if you want to become a Navy SEAL, if you want to like achieve something great in your life, you got to maybe do something hard that maybe you don't really want to do. And so I didn't really want to join the Navy, but there was no way that I would become a Navy SEAL if I didn't. So I joined the Navy. I made some tactical errors along the way. Uh, I took the SEAL screening test when I got to boot camp. I failed it. And when I say I failed it, I didn't really fail it. I quit on the push-ups. Like I was like, 38, 39, oh, I'm so tired. I don't think I can make it to 52. And that was like the minimum number. And so that was my first like taste of 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 quitting. And I didn't like it really at all. And so when I certainly could have pushed through that, but I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Uh, then I made some errors, which Uh, just tactical errors. Like I was like, I could take the screening test again when I graduate, you know, before I graduate this Navy school that I'm going to, uh, or I can take another Navy school for four more months in a warmer environment because we were up in, in Chicago or North of Chicago in the winter time. I didn't want to get up early. I didn't want to like go out and do the, the test when it's like, you know, 20 degrees outside. So I was being a little feeling sorry for myself. And because I felt sorry for myself, I took this other school where I thought I would you know, go to school for four more months and then take the screening test and then go to BUDS. What happened when I took this other school, I ended up on a ship in Yokosuka, Japan, for 24 months and almost didn't get to go to BUDS. And it took mm-hmm. uh, the chief of naval operations, who's the most senior guy in the Navy for the for your listeners who don't know much about uh, the military. Um, the only people that are senior to the, the Chief of Naval Operations is the Secretary of Defense and the President of the United States. So I pretty much jumped the chain of command because my the, the people that were telling me what you can do in the Navy were telling me, you cannot become a Navy SEAL because you're too critical because of this school that I took. And uh, so the Chief of Naval Operations came to my ship in Yokosuka, Japan, and he's had you know CNOs call. He said, anyone have any questions? And I raised my hand and I was like, yeah, I joined the Navy to be a SEAL. I think I deserve a chance to go. Uh, But my detailer won't let me go. Uh, I think I deserve a chance. What do you think? And this was, you know, in front of the the whole ship. And I was going to say this was the only ship. (laughs) My ship was the only ship that he went to. And there's there were like 11 ships, I think, in Japan. He didn't he didn't go to any other ship. He only went to my little ship uh, and had CNO's call. And and so and, and people like people kind of prepped me a little bit. They were like, why don't you ask the CNO because he's a common sense leader. He's made like, as he's like kind of gone up through the ranks, he went from like being an E1 to the CNO throughout his, and he's just like, if people brought something up to him and, uh, it made sense and he would change policy right there on the spot, depending like what leadership position he was in. And so they were like, why don't you ask the CNO? And I was like, uh, okay. I did tell my commanding officer that I was going to ask. He was wow. supportive because he's like, I don't know how we're going to get you to seal training. And so the CNO turns to my commanding officer and he's like, Hey, is he a good guy? And my CO says, yeah, he was the sailor of the quarter this quarter. And he turns back to me, which is like employee of the month. Uh, and he turns back to me and is like, check, you'll be in the first class after your PRD, which is planned rotational date. And six weeks later, I was, uh,
0: off to California to go to seal training. Wow take a note on courage kids. Like, right. Like, you know. Opportun- like
1: opportunity was right there. And I had, yeah. a, you know, I had a choice. Like, do you, do you want it or not? Yeah. Like, everyone is telling me no. Like everyone that has the power the authority, they're all telling me no. Well, there's one more guy. It doesn't hurt to ask like, like that, like just have a little bit of courage to ask. And that has really been a, probably a downfall of mine throughout most of my life is I wasn't brave enough to ask for help or, yeah, really to ask for help when I, because I didn't want to feel weak uh, or insignificant. And so when I became brave enough to actually ask for help, it has helped me, it has paid dividends across the board.
0: So it doesn't yeah, pay was, to be scared. Yeah, that was uh, ground zero of me starting Lions Guide. And, like I remember when I started it, I don't know if it's still on the, the social media profiles or not, but I, I said literally like, when I, had, when I have had courage, I've had success. When I've had fear, I've had failure hard stop. Like if anyone's going to ask 100%. me an elevator, what makes you successful? I'd say whenever I had acted on my courage, I had success. Whenever I failed to act because of fear, I failed period. You know, yeah, 100%. it's, it's key, man. It's key. beautiful. So went to seals, uh, went to, went to buds. Um, what was, was, how was it compared to what you thought it was going to be? Or did you not even know what you're getting shuffled into? I didn't, I didn't really know
1: what I was getting into. My, my thought was, how hard can it be? Well, it, <laughs> it can be pretty hard, actually. Uh, just kind of naive and maybe arrogance, which I shouldn't have any arrogance because like, I quit on the first time I took the test. Um, I actually failed it the second time I took it uh, in Japan. And it was interesting because I was the only person taking the, the screening test for to become a SEAL. There were other guys there taking the screening test. It's the same test to become uh, an EOD guy or a a, a Navy diver. Same test. The standards are different. So I beat everyone on every event, the swimming, the push-ups, the pull-ups, the sit-ups, and on the run. And then on the run, you run it in in long pants and, and boots. And the other guys, they run it in shorts and sneakers. I beat everyone on every event. And I failed to run by 14 seconds. I was like, are you like I was like, I got this, I'm good to go. And I crossed the line and he was like, you missed it by 14 seconds. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So the next time I took it, no excuses. That's just like we're not, no arrogance, no nothing. Uh, but the only like we didn't have like again, no internet back then, not a lot of books. So I read the book Brave Men Dark Waters, and I read the book Rogue Warrior, and I read the book Tom Clancy wrote it. Uh, Amazon came out with a really terrible version of the movie recently um, without remorse. Don't watch no, the yeah. movie. The movie's terrible. The book is amazing. And then on my ship, there were a couple of guys that quit buds. Like they had just quit like, you know, a few months ago. And one of their dads was a SEAL. And he had a VHS tape of some parts of Hell Week and parts of second phase, which is the diving phase. Uh, and so I watched that about a hundred million times before I left. So I had a little bit of an idea of what it was gonna be like, but what I didn't really prepare myself for was running on soft sand. Soft sand running sucks. It's not running on any kind of hard surface ever. And I was like, how hard can it be? And it was it it was pretty hard. And so it took me a short 13 months to get through that six month block of training <laughs> before I graduated, so. It took me 13 months to get through thirteen thirteen 13 months, yeah.
0: And the, because I, I
1: got injured a couple times, the first yeah. time I got injured, someone stepped on my leg. There was a little, uh, they weren't sure if it was compartment syndrome or a hair fracture or something that set me back. I also broke my ankle at the right around the same time. Uh, and, and I, it was interesting. I went to medical and, the, the doc was like, well, you're, you're, you probably just need to suck it up. It was, she was a female EOD PA and there's a lot of letters there. Uh, and she was like, you probably just need to suck it up. And I was like, I don't like, I don't like it didn't hurt. Like I just didn't have the power to like jump in the obstacle course or really kind of keep up like I did the day before. And, and so she sent me off to get x-rays and it turns out that there was like a, a, about an inch long piece of bone that was broken off the, the bottom of my, I don't know if it's tibia or fibula, the one on the outside that makes your outside ankle, uh, like broken off, just floating around. And she came, she looked at the x-ray. She was like, I'm sorry my, uh, your ankle is actually broken. Uh, and so I apologize for what I said. So we're going (laughs) to roll you back to the next class. Uh, then I got hurt again and then I got hurt again, but this time I got hurt after hell week. And, and why that's important is, you know, I got hurt twice before I made it to hell week and they were getting ready to kick me out. And I'm standing there like, again, this is sort of the courage. I don't know if it's courage or what it was, but I was like, you know, the first guy that I went to, he was like, uh, we're going to like kick you out of training because you clearly are not prepared. You've gotten hurt twice. We don't need you here. Go back and get strong. And then I'm like, then the second guy, like, he's like, well, so-and-so said they they recommend dropping you and, you know, sending you back to the fleet. And I'm like, no, please don't do that. I told the story about the CNO and I'm like, if I leave, I may never get to come back. Like, please let me stay like tears, snot, whatever on crutches. He was like, stand by. He left for like three hours. I'm standing there. Outside on the grinder, I watched my class come in, which was an awesome class. Not all classes are created equal. Like some classes are way harder than others, and I, I will swear on my life, all, like the class that I just rolled out of was harder than the class before it, and way harder than the class that I eventually rolled into. So I rolled into the third class. I was not healed. I pretty much hobbled my way all the way through first phase. I passed enough runs uh, to to get through. I. Went through hell week and somehow out of hell week, I got more healthy. <laughs> hmm. Hell week is like, you know, it's, it's five and a half days of no sleep and you're wet and cold and miserable the whole time. And you're just like, go and go and go. And, and, and there are, there are no real breaks, uh, unless you win a race and then you get to sit down. And I found myself in, in a, in a boat crew in hell week. And this was something that, that has resonated with me for, I don't know, 20 20 plus years at this point is that this boat crew, all they wanted to like, it was this unspoken rule inside the boat crew, seven guys. And all they wanted to do was win. They wanted to be in the front of, of the line. It didn't matter if we were going to, to chow or if we were going to, you know, go out in the ocean, dump boat, flip the boat back over and come back late. They, they would just wanted to win everything. And no one complained about it. No one like cheered. It was just like, we're like, you know, we, we do what they call an elephant march and you have all the boats on your head, you're walking along and it didn't matter if we were starting in the number three position or if we started in the, like the number 10 position, like if there was a gap between the boat in front of us and the boat in front of them, we would pass them and we would pass them and every like, in, you know when you're putting out that much effort, that much work, like my legs are on fire. My lungs are like on fire. I'm like, I can't do it. I'm like, start feeling sorry for myself. And then I'm looking at the six other guys that are in the boat crew with me. If I feel sorry for myself and I stop working, then I'm slowing them down. So I'm letting them down. So I'm letting my team down. And that was not an option for me. So it was just like, keep going and keep pushing. And eventually we end up in the front and, and, you know, the other guys they're suffering just the same. But what I, what I realized was it was always better to suffer in the front than to suffer in the back. Because when you suffer in the front, you put forth just 2% more effort than everyone else. You're going to win. And we actually got – we won almost every single race during Hell Week because it all – you pay pays to be a winner. We got secured about four hours before the rest of the class uh, in on Friday of Hell Week. And so that, of course, like – Demoralize the rest of the class. They're like, F those guys. But there was no, you know, we weren't the fastest. We weren't the biggest. You know, everyone is like boat crew one has the big strong guys, the big fast guys. We were beating them and we were doing these races and, and the instructors like, what boat crew is this? Boat crew three. What boat crew is this? Boat crew three. What boat crew is this? Boat crew three. And they're like, where did you guys come from? Like, we've been winning all the races. You just haven't paid attention. You just care about the big guys. And so uh, but that was, that was a beautiful lesson it was better to, it, you know, that I learned in, in buds, it's, it's always better to suffer in the front than suffer in the back. We're all suffering. It doesn't matter. You can be awesome or you can be mediocre.
0: Yeah. That's, um, that was the case even just, 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 hmm, how do I say this? Uh, very literally doing humps in the Marines. Like if you were in the back, it sucked cause you had to try to keep up. It, it, and you and we always strive to try to get up to the front for, for the same reasons. But, but you, you hit on a lot of good things, I think, there. And I think, you know, one of the things I just wrote down was around where you were mentally, but looking at those around you and what it did for you, I felt like really spoke to the importance of who you surround yourself with, like going 100%. very general, right? It's like you, you were surrounded by six other guys who are there to win and being a part of that group and you had to level up, you know, you had to, you know, take it to their level, as opposed to if you were in one of those other boat crews that were okay with not coming in first, so to speak, that's where you would have landed, you know? And it was interesting. So I started,
1: I think, in boat crew four when Hell Week kicked off. And, you know, in the first 24, 48 hours is when you have most of the guys quit during Hell Week. And I just had guys that just were like quitting. And when I first got the Buds, I would be like, my attitude was like, no, come on, keep going, stick around. That's like, we got this. I had been there at six, for about six months at that point, And I wanted to get to the front and guys are like, Oh, I don't think I want to I'm like, and other guys are cheering. Them on. I'm like, get out, go quit. I don't, we don't, I don't need you. And I kept noticing that this boat crew three kept winning. And then it came time about Friday, Monday afternoon before dinner, we had enough people quit that, they needed to reshuffle the boat crew. So the way you get into a boat crew is it's based on your height so that everyone is about the same height because you're carrying that boat on your head. And so I'm like, I'm getting in boat crew three. Like there was a place I wanted to be people. I wanted to surround myself with, with and I didn't know who they were. And I was like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's boat crew. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five. That's me six, seven. Okay. Now I'm in boat crew three. And then they continued going down. And every time we did a height, line adjustment. I always made sure I was in boat crew three. And when I got in the boat crew, I looked around and I was like, there's no superstars here. We're all just regular Joes. There's nothing special about any one of us. We just have an uncommon desire to like win and be awesome. That's, that was really it at the end of the day is, you know, it was just like, uh, we want to, we want to be at the front. We don't want to be back here in the back suffering. Yeah. hundred percent. We the, still suffer.
0: Uh... It's just, we <laughs> suffer just a little bit less. <laughs> what you had mentioned it earlier was was running in the soft sand was that the most challenging part for you for uh through uh seal training? i think so probably yeah like yeah. i didn't i thought i was a pretty good runner until i got
1: on the soft sand and like the technique is very different and the really the way that i learned to run on soft sand was when i was injured uh kind of you know when you're in the holding company if you will uh mm-hmm. you still work out twice a day you you swim uh, with fins in the pool, you do calisthenics, maybe you run the obstacle course, uh, you do runs. And if you can't do the conditioning runs, the the gimpy broken guys with our crutches and all, we're still out there doing it. But I would, you know, with my crutches, I would learn how to like, kind of walk in the sand, that was the most efficient. And when I then I could translate that into actual running and like, the, just like, you have to be very like, soft footed. It's more like, uh, I think, Um, like pose, pose running, I think is Mm -hmm. like a a pretty, um, popular style, but it's really you land forefoot and you're like, you're just picking your foot up. You're not pushing off and like propelling yourself forward. So when I implemented and we didn't have pose running back then, uh, it was just running in soft sand. But when I kind of implemented that, like you hit it and you, you kind of pick your foot up quickly and that, that helped helped get across the soft sand a little bit quicker. Like if you try to like push through the soft sand, you're going to lose like 60% of your effort is going to go behind you and not, and just sort of dissipate
0: instead of like propelling you forward. Right. Now, did you, did you ever got, uh, I'm sure you did in 26 years out to uh, 29 palms much. Um, I never did any real work out there. No. Yeah. So running the sand out there, like, it's out in the mojave right So, but there's mountains and the mountains are covered in sand so we're freaking running like you're running up that hill but you're running up that soft sand feel right and i had never i because i live out here in maryland's pretty flat on the eastern shore where i'm at and uh when i first got in i got to 29 palms trying to run these freaking hills i'm like whoa! and they're they're not just hills they're hills with right. soft sand right uh, yeah yeah, so when you mentioned that earlier, I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then, about. you know, in the winter in,
1: in Coronado, the CBs will come out and they'll, they'll push these big, they'll create these big sand dunes on the beach. Because, you know, in the winter in California, the waves get kind of big and like waves have like crashed over those, those sand berms just to kind of keep the ocean, you know, out of the, the buds compound and, and things like that. And so, you know, we would like, it wasn't just like flat running down the beach, which was a lot of it but we would come back and we would just like do like zigzags up and over those, those berms and they're about 15, 20 feet high. So you're like, right. Oh my legs. Oh my God. This is, this sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So,
0: so yeah, the, um, when it comes to, um, what you went on to do, um, you had mentioned there's, there's buds, which is underwater demolition. Um, but you had mentioned some undersea work. What's the difference between undersea, versus underwater in the in the what you so um in SEAL training in the SEAL teams we
1: the way that we that's one of the things that sets us apart from the other services is we we are very good under the water and most of the diving that we do is on a closed circuit rig it's 100% o2 so you're you exhale you know carbon dioxide it goes into this canister that has something that looks like kitty litter. It scrubs out the carbon dioxide and whatever oxygen's left over gets pushed back up into a breathing bag. And then you also have a very small, uh, O2 bottle. And if you're really good at diving and being efficient with your breathing and things like that, you can be, you can swimming underwater, you can be on, we call it on bag, uh, on a dive for four hours. You, you don't go super deep. You're, you know, you average about 20 feet of depth and you navigate into a a target area so you can, so this goes back to kind of mission planning um, for tides and currents and, you know, distance and things like that. But you don't have like a GPS. You don't have like your iPhone underwater telling you where you are. You have to like plan it out. When you get in the water and you start swimming, you need to know what your pace count is, like how many kicks is a hundred yards, uh, how much time equals a hundred yards, uh, and then you have a, 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 a compass. So what your bearing is, so you have to be able to be very good at following a bearing underwater, be able for a certain amount of time, then turn, go, you know, another bearing for a certain amount of time, then turn again. And then, you know, hopefully you meet your mark. You try not to ever break the surface of the water because if you're in bad guy land, they, you don't want your little nugget sticking up there for them to see you. Um, and so, be like underwater is really that. It's like being very like absolutely clandestine, you know. As a combat swimmer going into an area, maybe it's just to go in to drop uh, some packages off. Maybe it's to put demolition on the side of a, a, a vessel or a bridge or or something like that. Uh, maybe tagging something. But uh, under sea is really we have uh, a, a, a mini, uh, submarine it's completely filled up and it's kind of like the, what it's, what it's kind of like is if you have a a smart car and you put you and five of your best, five of your best friends in there, (laughs) fill it up with, take the seats out, fill it up with water while you're on scuba, black out all the windows and maybe pour some ice in there as well. And, uh, and then hang out there for a couple of hours on scuba until you get where you're going. And then you open the doors, And then you get out, and then you transition to that same work uh, under underwater work uh, to go someplace somewhere in the world, or you know, depending on what the operation is. And uh, and so the, the difference between just like sort of underwater demolition and undersea is we maybe we we got on a on a on a nuclear powered submarine here in Hawaii, and we went somewhere for a couple of weeks underwater, never broke the surface. Uh, and then when we get where we're going, we have this garage on the back that it has our sealed delivery vehicle in it. And you open up the, the garage door, you pull the, the SDV out, you know, a pilot navigator get in, four guys get in the back and then we go somewhere and we do stuff. And then when we're done doing that thing, we come back to the submarine, you know, put the SDV away, close the hangar out door and then come back to wherever we started.
0: That's and bomb. so that's
1: really undersea operations, and and the 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 significance of those kind of operations is there the approval gets approved by the president of the United States. So all almost all other military operations, the president maybe has some sort of visibility if it's kind of a big deal. Uh, but those strategic level operations you don't see you know on anywhere else. And why they're strategic is if it were, were mission failure, then maybe you see my face on you know, on CNN in some place that maybe we shouldn't have been or we right. we don't exist or something
0: like that. So <laughs> now that's freaking awesome. No, no, thanks for explaining that. I thought that was interesting. The, um, so what's your biggest takeaways from your service career, you know, with it, compared to even, I guess, in what you're doing now, but you know, what, what, what did you learn that's really served you the most personally and professionally, maybe?
1: I think, I think, like I said earlier, you know, becoming a a civilian is really the the hardest military mission I've ever been on. But I think, um, in this world of abundance and a lot of people have some deep pockets. So I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm trying to sell products, but I, I have a product that I can't sell it traditionally. I can't do, you know, Facebook ads or Instagram ads or anything like that, which is like pretty mainstream nowadays. Um, I I sell CBD and and those companies see CBD, even though it's a very, it's the highest quality on the, on the market as a, an illicit substance. And I've had, I didn't even have a a Facebook account until I started this company. And, you know, people like do run Facebook ads. And then Facebook just deletes my account, like three of them in a row until I kind of figured out what was going on. But they'll take your money. Don't you worry. They'll delete your account and still take your money.
0: They, for, they don't actually care for the money.
1: <laughs> right. So what I've had to do is I had, to, I've had to start thinking more unconventional about my approach to business, my approach to advertising. And, you know, it's kind of like in the SEAL teams, we are an unconventional force. We don't, you know, go lock down a bunch of like a build uh, a, a city block to sort of run through it. And, and as a big slow moving conventional force. We do things more unconventional. So for example, if you have a, uh, bad guy living in a compound on a hillside and he just has like a giant mountain behind him, he's not that concerned about people coming over the mountain. He's more concerned about people like coming in from the front or even from the side. And so, you know, when we've been faced with things like that, we will, you know, take a helicopter, we'll land on the backside, maybe two mountain ridges over hike over those mountain ridges and it's going to take so much longer and a lot more effort. But by the time we get there, they have no clue that we were ever in the area and then we get there. And so we have the drop on the enemy and, and, and they never saw us coming. They didn't hear us. They couldn't even conceptualize someone climbing over, you know, 11,000 feet, you know, to come in their back door. So I think one of the things that has really helped me that I've, I've brought from, From my military experience is really being just thinking unconventionally you know or doing things a little bit bolder because you know when I was teaching sniper school and I was a a sniper in a platoon it's a misnomer that all seals are really great shots they're not they're not all great at like sighting in their weapons like some guys are really good at blowing stuff up some guys are really good at like being comms guys so me as a sniper as a weapons expert if you will I was really in charge of when we would start a block of training to get guys sighted in on, you know, get their, help them get their gun sighted in. And what I'd noticed is a lot of guys would like, they would, you know, see their impacts at 25 yards and then, you know, do like small corrections and their bullets didn't really seem to travel across the paper to get to that bullseye. And so... What I would do, I would just come over and I would make these gigantic adjustments, make bold adjustments, just like really just crank, like over crank their their if they're uh, using or or some sort of optic to like move it exponentially across the paper. And what would happen if I made those bold adjustments? Their their impacts did cross that center line, but they were actually closer to where they wanted to be so then they could make those micro adjustments so that was just something else that I that I really pulled out of, of being in the military was sometimes you know you can iterate all you want but you're not gonna get where you'd need to be until you make these bold adjustments and sometimes it's the opposite of what you're actually thinking if everyone is thinking this way maybe you should think the opposite of everyone else and make bold adjustments in the opposite direction
0: yeah no definitely hundred percent the uh, with regard to you know especially in the military career and in where leadership is so important, you know, what, what makes a good leader in, in your opinion? That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, some people are like charisma and
1: being, you know, knowing how to talk to people. Really, what makes a good leader in my opinion and, and from my experience is the, the leader, the, the guy that's humble, the guy that asks questions, the guy that doesn't know everything Uh, And the guy that is, you know, of service to the team, you know, for me, a leader is about taking care of the team, giving them direction, left and right boundaries, sort of commander's intent, if you will, and then saying, training them in order to do it, and then say, go get them, you know, not being micro not being a micromanager, you know, there's this thing in the military where leaders eat last. So all the junior people you know, when you go to the chow hall, they eat first and maybe there's not time for the leader to eat If the, like when, as everyone sort of cycles through there and that's just, you know, part of it. So hopefully if you have good guys in your team, they'll bring you a box lunch, uh, out and, and so that you do have a, a chance to eat. But, you know, I think that's really what helps make a good leader. You have to have good decision-making skills and you don't get those overnight. You have to, you have to go through a lot of failure and a lot of learning and a lot of just being humble enough to. Be okay with failure, accept failure, and and learn from, you know, be brave enough to ask questions. And I've I've failed in that very specific aspect in and many times of my leaders leadership career, is where I was afraid. We talked about you know being courage earlier. I was afraid to ask questions. And once I became brave enough to ask questions, even if they were guys senior to me or guys junior to me, when I became brave enough to ask the junior guy, a question like, Hey, how would you do this? Number one, it empowered that junior guy. And it, one, it gave me the answer Two, it. Empowered the junior guy where he was like, Oh my God, you trust me. And just like giving them that trust. Like that was like probably the most empowering thing of like, now they trust me because I trust them. Like maybe they were like, I don't know about this guy. And because I asked a question, I asked for help. They're like, Oh, he trusts me. And that like, that is irreplaceable.
0: Creating that yeah. trust in, as, as a leader. Hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guide community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique, like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And, you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lion's Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoying the podcast as a member, you'll get access to not only to all the podcasts but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So, get access to all this and more. So, break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on LionsGuide.com and let's grow together. Go to LionsGuide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now, back to the show. Yeah, no trust capital. It's it's key. The um, but no in in you know and it's so you know it builds that loyalty that, like that trust that yeah, I think I can't even say it better than you did that you are showing that you care about what they think. You're not being that, that, that dictator leader. You're going to right. go, Hey, yeah. you know, how, how do you think we should do this? What are your thoughts on this? And, and that inspires them to want to be a part of the team. It gets their buy-in, you know, to the results even more 100%. than the, the, the being told what to do. And, and they, prepare might think or know better, you know, than what they're being told, but they weren't, uh, you know, th- th- stay on your word with it. weren't, weren't trusted enough or or even empowered right. enough to give their input. Yeah. So, what um, what habits did you develop in the seals that you carry today that you know that you're not compromising on? Right. So you're retired. I get it, but you know what what habits did you build in your career? But you know, you're they are still you know, your go-tos for today? I think uh, probably
1: my, my work ethic. I didn't know at the time that I was uh, pretty severe ADD. I've never been diagnosed, but I, I, I did have a, a neuropsych eval once upon a time from, I went to a, an organization called NICO, the National Intrepid Institute of Excellence. And where they, it's at Walter Reed and they treat, you know, guys with TBI and PTSD and, and a whole host of like a whole, holistic approach to the body and and brain. And they were like, "Uh, have you ever been diagnosed with ADD? I was like, "Uh, no. And they're like, look, your IQ is like way up here. Like, but your attention is like down here at the bottom. And so, but what that, I guess, allowed me to do was just like, I, I don't have the same, I don't learn things the same way as everyone else. So I've had to like kind of work a little bit harder, in my opinion, work harder than everyone else. So I had to like really try to like work on focus and create, uh, different platforms or different ways for me to like figure stuff out. Um, so I think that that's one of the things it's just like being able to like find that place mentally in order to like focus and learn and, and, and create success, I guess. Uh, but you know, kind of like daily habits, um, When the whole time I was in the military, I hated getting up early. Hate, 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 hate. I want to sleep. And now that I'm out, it took me a little while to like come back around to this. But I'm, you know, I actually want to get up early. I want to start like getting things done. And, but one of the, but again, one of the things that I learned and did when I was in is I would plan my day the night before. Like I would lay, I'll lay my clothes out. Like if I'm on a trip somewhere and I've got something early in the morning, like everything will be ironed. It'll be laying on the floor as if I'm going to put it on and like run out the door. Uh, I'll have notes, uh, for myself. Like I'll think about what I'm going to do the next day. What are my top three things that I'm going to attack for the day? And I'll have those written down. And so I'll know when I wake up in the morning, I'm not behind the power curve, um, I, I know exactly what I'm going to wear. I don't have any sort of decision-making fatigue as I start the day. And I didn't realize how important that was when I was in the military. I was just trying, like, I'm, there's a lot that uh, is demanded of me, whether I'm putting the pressure on myself or, you know, it's from the team that I'm with. Like, they expect me to show up and be awesome every day. I expect them to show up and be awesome every day. So it's, it's that sort of internal good competition um, that I needed to, like, prepare myself the night before because my brain doesn't work the same as everyone else's. And so I have to like, I have to plan the night before. And I found that that is a, really a key to my daily success is plan the night before and and then execute it. Lots of people talk about your morning routine. Mine starts the night before.
0: Yeah, I, I actually 30 PM. I, I'm actually with you. Um, I do the same thing. I, 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 in, I even coach people this to the today, like, Um, you rest a lot easier, like your brain and maybe it's guys like you. me, I don't know, but I know my brain, if I don't close my day down and that's, I call it, I call it my day close routine. I go through a specific set of routine at the end of the day to close my day down. If I don't do that, my brain just keeps going. It's grinding, it's grinding, it's grinding, especially in the world of entrepreneur, business owner, leader, like, and
1: I've, I've, I've noticed that with myself and I've really started paying more attention to it recently the last few months is I I wear a whoop and you know, it tracks HRV throughout the night. And when I do that good close out of the day, preparing for the next day, my HRV is higher. Like I haven't done anything. Like I'm happier when I go to bed. Like I haven't done anything different. Like every, like work out the same, you know, sleep the night before, whatever daily stressors or not. But when I, I've noticed that when I close out the day, the right way, my HRV is better at the, you know, the next morning when I look up and it's like, how good did you sleep last night? And, you know, you get green, yellow, or red circle. And, you know, more times than not,
0: when I do a good closeout, I have a green circle of higher HRV. Sweet. Yeah. No, bringing science to it. But that's right. I mean, so that that's just been my feeling because everyone's like, get up in the morning and get your day plan. I'm like, man, I'm not going to sleep right. that good unless I Right. Get my, I got to my do it the day. Day before. And I'm yeah. not, like, I'm a slow, I'm like, I'm slow getting going in the
1: morning coffee. I'm like, drink some water, take my vitamins, take a little CBD. Okay. Coffee's ready. You know, I drink well, like look, two of these, however, however tall
0: this is, you know, while the coffee's being made. So yeah. Well, which is more fun, right? Planning to execute or executing
1: executing is always more fun.
0: Right. You know, so you do all the hard stuff and then just go execute. Right. And that to me is what I enjoy and why I have much, a much more joyful, agile days. Cause I've done, I've already done the thinking. All I got to do now is go, you know, because right. it's. And, and and you, it, you do jujitsu, right? you you train jujitsu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, which is more
1: gratifying doing drills like drilling one move over and over and over or getting in and rolling with someone and beating someone that's at your that's actually better than you yeah right no one likes Winning. the drilling i yeah. like to win <laughs> <laughs> right. like all that all that work that was boring and not really that sexy like holy cow i just beat someone who's like two belts higher than me how did yeah. that happen
0: yeah and that's it it's like you do the get all the hard stuff out of the way and then just uh, it's, it's, it, I don't know. There's just a more, there's a better joy in executing for me having done that. And I don't have to think about what am I going to do next. I've already, I just, and even my day plan, it's all laid out. It's part of, it's part of my day close routine as I write my whole day plan for the next day. So I'm just checking stuff off. right. So I'm like this little scorecard is just developing with all these successes through the day. It wasn't like, Oh, I finished that. Now what am i going to do now, this is what I'm doing next. I already figured that out. You know, so yeah, and, it's and you the, think, yeah, have that plan in place. Yeah, and you, you're thinking better too, right? Because you're not thinking under pressure, right? You're not thinking, you know, having to make that decision. I think was what you're referring to is the decision fatigue. Like you're not having to make that decision under the the rest of the day, right? You're you're making it like while you're at peace, so to speak, at the end of your day. You're not under the gun at that moment. You're kind of getting your game plan together. You're thinking a little better, and you just go just execute, man. Yeah. So. What was the trend? You've talked about it a few times. So the transition we've mentioned a few times, the transition from the military, how was it for you? So long time, a quarter of a century. How'd it go? Uh, So
1: I live, I live on an Island in the middle of the Pacific ocean. When I, when I retired, I kind of sort of thought I had a plan, but I didn't really have a good plan. Um, I, I started a consulting company uh, to help companies navigate the military acquisition system, and when I went out to look for clients to help out, you know, maybe they have a widget that they want to sell to the military. Maybe it's ready for prime time. Maybe it's not. But I learned very quickly that the word consultant was not um, not that welcome. I'm like oh, I, I, I want to consult. You know, how to you know, navigate this? Because my last three years in the military, I what I did is I was uh, part of the acquisition department and what I did is I went out and found, we had what's called an operational deficiency report. And basically if we don't have uh, if there's a, if there's an operational deficiency, you don't have a technology, you don't have a TTP, you don't have a tactic, techniques, or procedure. You don't have some sort of uh, capability to do a mission. You create this, what's called an operational deficiency report. And it's, it can be created at the, at the most, junior deck plate level. And it goes all the way up as it gets sort of adjudicated through the chain of command to the Admiral and he'll sign off on it, but there's no funding that's assigned to aside to, uh, to fix these deficiencies. You know, it just basically brought up, Hey, we have this, this deficiency and we can't do X because of this. And sometimes it gets attention. Sometimes it doesn't, but it does kind of help change programs of record. It helps adjust funding requirements along the way, but there's no funding assigned to actually fixing the problem, especially if it's a a technology uh, shortfall. And so uh, my last three years, I, I came into the acquisition shop and my boss was like, hey, we got all these ODRs. We need to find solutions for them. Who wants to take this one? And we just went down the list and I just took a whole bunch of them that I was like kind of interested in. And I went out and found $16 million of other people's money to create technology that never existed before, like quantum cascading lasers, some different kind of uh, capabilities to communicate voice, uh, GPS, and video communications underwater uh, from, you know, communicate from a, a UAV overhead to guys underwater, like, you know, 100 miles away. And, and so in and some other kind of inflatable technologies, so I took that experience, and I was going to use that to basically sell my experience and my connections to other companies. And other companies, all they wanted me to do was like, "Hey, we've got this widget. We think it's awesome. Why don't you go sell it for us?" And uh, by the way, we're not. We'll we'll just pay you a commission. We're not going to. Pay. I'm like, "Oh, that does not sound like a good deal to me." <laughs> so I just. I, I had a lot of failure. Um, I also have a lot of baggage from you know, toxic relationships. I have baggage from some work stuff. And so what I was doing at night was before I got my act together, I was drinking myself to sleep to kind of like calm that noise in my head. And we all have noise. Uh, it's just how we deal with it. And the way I was dealing with it is I was pretty much drinking myself to sleep at night. Uh, and then I found CBD. I'd heard about CBD, but I wasn't going to take something that was marijuana derived while I was still on active duty, and it still took me another year before I, after I got out, to try it, and uh, a buddy of mine gave me a bottle. And what I, uh, what I say is, you know, water boils at 212 degrees, and I was probably living at like 210 degrees. I was like, my fuse was very short. It didn't take much to like hit that that boiling point. And so over time of taking CBD, I kind of went from like 210 to 205 to 200 to 195. Maybe I ended about 185 when I finished that bottle. And I also noticed that like my aches and pains were just less bad, but I didn't notice anything like immediately. Um, there weren't like, I took it in like rainbows and unicorns or anything like that. I have a daughter. So that's, those are my analogies. Um, but maybe I slept a little bit better. Maybe I was a little less pissed off, but over time I noticed that I was drinking less. I was sleeping better and I was able to really grab hold of those thoughts, those fears, those that desperation swirling around in the back of my head. And once I was able to like actually have my own positive self-talk, I was able to take control of that, that, um, those fears, you know, I, 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 I talk about fear as, uh, like a vampire and I don't mean like lions and tigers and bears and spiders and snakes. I mean like the fears that live in that deep, dark place in the back of your mind, it, it's like a vampire because it lives in the darkness and it sucks the life out of you. That's mm-hmm. what those fears do. And how do you kill a vampire as you expose it to light? And so that's what you have to do with really those fears. And CBD kind of helped me kind of, it was a modality that helped. And I was able to like pull those fears out and expose them to the light. And then once I, you know, exposed those fears, I was able to control them and they were no longer able to control me. So my, my transition to, so the, and, and that's why I started Naked Warrior Re- Recovery is because I got enough of a positive benefit using CBD as a modality to try to like, turn that noise down and not rely on alcohol or pharmaceuticals or anything else to like, to, to slow it down. Then I was able to have the positive self-talk. Uh, then I was able to start my own company and the, kind of the way that that whole thing happened is, is I tried CBD. I had positive results. I stopped taking it. I started going back the other way. I tried another brand. I got positive results. Then I was at a, now I'm like super interested in the industry. I was at a business conference and I met someone in the CBD industry. And I was like, I really wanted to work for her. I wasn't ready to start my own thing. And, and, she, and I was like, hey, you're the CBD girl, right? She was like, yeah. Uh, I'm like, I'm interested in CBD. So, she, so she's like, so do you want to do A to B, B to B, B to C? And I'm like, I want to do CBD. That's like, I really wanted her to hire me. And she was like, well, I can't hire anyone right now, but so why don't you just start your own CBD company? I'm like, I don't know how to do that. She's like, listen, you're a Navy SEAL. You can figure it out. And I was like, oh. Can I can I have my man card back please? And uh so she kind of like gave me some left and right and I dove, I dove into the the CBD industry. I found like it was super like it's it's a dirty industry. It's cleaning up, but it's it's a dirty industry. There's like this thing called uh Delta 8, which is like one molecule off of THC Delta 9, uh which is illegal. Delta 8 is legal right now, but it's like a lot of people are pushing it. Um but you know, the, F, the FDA has gone out and done a, a ton of spot checks, and they found that most over 70% of the companies uh, out there have, you know, the, the CBD products either they don't have CBD in them, they have high levels of THC outside the legal limit of 0.3%, uh, they have uh, heavy metals, mercury, arsenic, lead, they have solvents uh, because people are just, they're like, oh, CBD became legal uh, on. December 20th of 2018 after the passing of the farm bill and so there was just like a rush to get quick get rich quick So you you see CBD everywhere and so what I would say is I would I would be very careful about what CBD you take someone asked me once upon a time What's the difference between your CBD and the CBD? I can get at the gas station and my reply is what's the difference between the sushi that you get at a gas station and the Sushi that you get at like a sushi house. Do you really want to roll the bones with gas station sushi why would you roll the
0: bones with gas station CBD? Cause it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I, I love that analogy and I didn't see that coming, but that makes a <laughs> world of sense.
1: <laughs> the, um, and I'm sorry that, that I didn't come up with it. It was a guy standing next to me and I was like, that's beautiful. I will use that forever. And I don't know yeah. your name, but
0: I'm going to give you credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. No name guy. The, um. so were, were you high strung so that where you went mentally, were you, did that just come about when you retired or were you kind of always, like you talked about the 210. I
1: was, I was, I was, you know, for a bunch of years dealing with, with stuff. And it's like, you know, it's like, it's pain is cumulative. So if I like sit here and I poke you in the arm, it's not a big deal. If I keep doing it for an hour, you're, you, it's going to start to get sore. If I do it for five hours, you're going to have a bruise. If I do it for six days, you don't want anyone to ever touch you again. And so that's sort of the way that, you know, little things, little things, little things, they just pile up. And I call, I don't, you know, ever talk about like PTSD or anything like that. I just say baggage. Everyone has baggage. A lot of times it's our ego that we're carrying around. Um, and so it's, it's really about taking that baggage off and setting it in the corner, taking your ego off and setting it in the corner. Like people will put baggage, they'll put shit in your, in your rucksack. And like, it's not yours. It's, it belongs to them. Uh, some of it's yours and you, you carry that around and then you have to decide whether you want to take it out or not. Um, and so it was just like, you know, over time people just filling my bag or me filling my, this baggage and me carrying it around and, you know, pulling it out and like, it flies around in my head. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that, you know, it's, you know, when no one else is around, And you have these thoughts that you are really hard to control, uh, you know, negative energy. I don't know how to put it uh, like really in another way or, you know, you're in a car by yourself and then all those thoughts start flying around. So, you know, like I said earlier, the way that I kind of dulled them out was I would pretty much drink myself to sleep at night. And so, and yeah, again, CBD was a modality that helped me kind of turn down the noise so that I could actually get that positive self-talk because I wanted to be better. I wanted to be a high performer. I wanted to like, you know, be in my prime as an entrepreneur, as a, just a man. And I wasn't, I was failing, failing myself, failing my family, failing in so many different ways. But I had to go through that failure in order to really understand what success looks like, what growth looks like. And I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still like achieving. Like there's like, I see like, you know, 9,000 mountain peaks in front of me and I need to go hit every one of those and the 9,000 that are beyond that. So, um, you know, it, it's easy to fall into the trap. And I, I fell into this trap when I, when I graduated SEAL training is that, you know, I was like, I graduated the hardest military training in the world. Like I'm good to go. That's like that, I got selected. Like, BUDS is a selection process. It does not make you a Navy SEAL by any way, shape, or form. Anyone who says otherwise has never been in the SEAL teams. Um, so, but I was like, I, you know, I'm, I'm good to go now. And what I, you know, there's a saying in the SEAL teams. It says, earn your trident every day. And what that means is, no matter how awesome you were yesterday, today's a whole new day. So, you need to be just a little bit more awesomer and a little more awesomeness, because I expect it out of you, and I know that you expect it out of me, and we all expect it out of each one of us. Like, no matter, no matter how good we were today, yesterday, today we need to be a little bit better, and a little bit better. So we're always climbing those mountains, hitting those peaks. And, and but that took time. Like, I forgot that lesson when I got out. I failure, 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 failure. So once I accepted that failure,
0: I got it. Okay, now it's time to start climbing. Yeah, and I love everything you just said. I mean, especially about the ego part, you know, um, the part of <laughs> carrying other people baggage by itself is a big thing, but, but checking yourself, right? Just being honest with yourself about your way of thinking just might not be it. It might not right. be working for you. You know, I could um, feel
1: sorry for myself or I could do something about it.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, um, now I really appreciate you saying that because that's, that's what you see. Like it, it's like the over the better way of saying like, man, that dude just can't get out of his own way. You know, he, right. he's got it all figured out and he just won't hold that mirror up and realize his role in that failure, those issues, whatever the case may be. Right. So, and that's really what the, the naked
1: warrior is. is taking that ego off, taking that baggage off, sitting in the corner, be a little bit exposed, be vulnerable, make yourself vulnerable. Like the, the courage that it takes to be a little bit vulnerable is like incredible. And I know we've talked about courage a few times and really, I think that's it at the end of the day is just like figure out how to tap into that, that bravery, that courage in order to like be, be vulnerable. Just a little bit. So so
0: that you can be relatable. Like, like let's no, let's be real. Like everyone's got, you say it like everyone's got their baggage. So, so stop pretending like you don't have freaking baggage. Like you've got everything figured out and you're perfect, man. I can tell you real quick, like, I just want to deal with people who are real. Like yeah. if, if I've got to, if I've got to think about if the words coming out of your mouth are authentic or true, like I don't have time for you, man. I, I just right. don't. Then you can, you can smell that. And, and I just, you know, and I guess with age, maturity, experience, whatever it is, like I've hit that point where I only want to deal with people who are going to be real, you know, especially like talking about in the circle, you know, because I can't, I, I just, I just can't. I just don't. I need to deal in truth. Look, we, we, before the show, we talked about society in general. Like you, you don't even know what to believe anymore. So it's 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 bad enough. Just we're living through this noise. Another right. one of your words, like we've got all this noise. There's so much untruths. Like I just want the peace of talking to a fellow human being and know the, I, that I can trust the words coming out of their mouth, man. Right. And <laughs> like, and, and, and a lot of that again is ego. They're trying to protect their freaking little fragile ego. And they want to don't, you know, they just want people to think they're freaking perfect. They don't have any problems. Like get real, man. Like, <laughs> well, I remember one of the, like, I don't, and I've never posted a ton online. I guess I'm doing it now more, but I remember like early days, I remember posting a picture like everyone puts their kids and they're all dialed up and looking pretty or whatever and i remember one of my earliest posts on facebook was my daughter i think it was with like baby food all over the place she's crying and wailing and i'm like blink and the post was like see it ain't all rainbows and unicorns
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) because that's it man um and and it and and again back to it it's sometimes it's just like man, just take that mask off. Be real. People appreciate you more. People will help you more. You know, um, there'll be more, you know, more straight up with you and that's a breath of fresh air, you know, like, um, so now I appreciate you saying that the, um, so who, I, I, so let's, so naked warrior, that's it. It's like, Hey, take, take the, get naked, be real. Right. Is that what the yeah, naked and, and so that,
1: that, that five seal secrets, uh, website that I, that I put out at the uh beginning of the show 5sealsecrets.com it really lays out like what get naked is i mean here's the secret it's it's you know it's naked the n stands for never quit the a accepts uh is stands for accept failure k is kill mediocrity e is expose your fears and the d is do the work and really that's what it's all about and i say get because it means it's talking about taking action and that's really what what it what it boils down to. But I, I created that document. It goes into like some some techniques that you can use kind of in your in your own life. I also have a, a keynote um, that's really based off that uh, that sort of that mindset where you can you know take one of these one or two or f- all five of these pieces and apply it to one place in your life. And then as you get better at applying you know one or two into one piece of your life, you can apply the rest as you get better at it. And then, and then you can apply it to another piece of your life and just kind of apply that sort of the get naked mindset into like eventually into your whole life. And then you're thinking more like, think more like a Navy SEAL.
0: Yeah, no, it's awesome. The, uh, when it comes to CBD, like someone who, who, who has not tried it before, like what is it? Why would you try it? What, what would be a scenario that you would entertain something like CBD? Uh, so There's so many, I mean, and research is like more
1: research comes out every day. I get on PubMed about once a week just to like look for new research and, and, you know, pain, anxiety, stress, sleep. Um, And it's not all ingestible. Some of it's topical. So we've got some, some lotions and some salves to like put on sore muscles. Actually, my, my chiropractor probably sells more of the, the muscle and joint rub than I do. I sell probably more to her than than anyone else. Uh, and, and she uses it in her practice, you know, and she just used it on me the other day for some back issues that I have. Uh, she's like, is it okay if I use your own product on you? I'm like, yeah, for sure. (laughs) But it's like, you know, I have an energy drink also. Uh, and one of like a cool testimonial that I, and this is not medical advice because I'm not a medical professional, but you know, one of the, the cool, um, sort of, uh, feedbacks that I got about the, this energy drink is, and it's a little powder drink is that, um, I sell it to a jujitsu gym in Utah and one of the guys buys it. He gives it to his wife who's on Adderall and she was like, I'm able to get off of my Adderall, uh, by using your, your CBD energy drink because I still get the focus that I need throughout the day to like not zone out and, you know, get stuff done. But I don't have the jitters at the end of the day, and so it's got you know about 75 milligrams of caffeine. It's got 12 and a half milligrams of CBD, and so you get kind of this um, focused energy. You know, I use it. Also, use it as a as a like during my workouts. Actually, what I do, I use it to like keep hydrated. I have this half gallon hydro flask, and I fill it up twice, and I use a packet in um, a packet in there uh, for every time I fill it up. So I'm not drinking just plain old water. But it you know it helps people with stress, it helps them with the anxiety, pain, chronic inflammation. So inflammation chronic inflammation is the thing that is part of like where the bad stuff comes from. You know, acute inflammation is good, like you you stub your toe, everything swells up. Well, that's good. That's sort of the healing process. But sometimes you get dysfunction on the inside and things don't work right. And then you have like chronic inflammation, and that's to, can lead to all sorts of bad stuff, and CBD has been proven to to help reduce chronic inflammation, chronic pain, things like that. Uh, and the way that the CBD works is it's a molecule that comes from the hemp plant, and hemp has been a medicine for thousands of years. But it's not like a panacea; it's not curing anything. What CBD does is it's actually we all have all mammals and fish have what's called an endocannabinoid system. So it's a giant neuroreceptor that's connected to every other system in your body. Think your, your respiratory system, your central nervous system, your digestive system, your immune system. It's connected to every system in your body. And if one system is out of whack, then that kind of pulls everything else out of whack. And you create endogenous cannabinoids. You create uh, anandamide, which is known as the bliss molecule. It's like the, the runner's high. That's anandamide, helping with the upregulation of serotonin and things like that. And you have two AG. I don't remember what it does or really what it stands for. Uh, But those two endogenous cannabinoids feed your endocannabinoid system. So it's like like a door that has 10,000 locks on it. And so you have to, for it to work properly, you have to fill, put keys in every one of those locks. Well, sometimes you don't make enough, or there's so much dysfunction that you need, you know, more keys in the locks. And so CBD is like a super multivitamin for your endocannabinoid system. So it goes in there, it fills in those locks and helps bring everything back into homeostasis. And that's sort of the the bro science uh, kind of behind (laughs) CBD and, and, and kind of how it works because people like would take CBD and they're like, Oh my God, it cured my cancer. It cured my this. It's not curing anything. What it's doing is it's supporting your body and bringing your endocannabinoid system back into homeostasis. So your body can actually heal itself while reducing chronic inflammation and and things like that.
0: And I think that's key. And I thought about this earlier when you're talking about how you healed after hell week. Yeah. Like you went through hell week and then you're like, I I feel like in this information age now, we're getting back to what our bodies are really capable of with regard to yeah. healing ourselves as as opposed to the synthetics of medical technology and science, right? where Which I think, that's why I use the word technology talking about medical, today, because really what it is, is it's an accelerant for our body's own ability to heal itself. But I think, sure. you know, we've adopted it so fast, like the rest of our technology, um, that you know, back to getting out of the comfort zone. I think we've created these comfort zones. These, w- but we're not giving our body the opportunity to grow and heal itself the way it's capable of. You know, I think yeah. you know we're we're keeping ourselves like with this comfort zone. We're applying ourselves like the governor switch. I mean, the governor switch we're putting ourselves gets deeper and deeper and deeper as compared to right. what and it's we harder are really, to get back out of that. Like you're just oh, digging a hole. Yeah. by yeah. not
1: doing anything and being comfortable, it's just like you get deeper in it a deeper hole. And so the deeper it is, the harder it is to climb out.
0: Yes. Yes. And, um, I feel like it, I, I think it, it seems to me that the information ages with our ability to share information and collaborate more, we're actually finding some of this more natural, it, you know, and, and examples of or there's our own abilities to heal, and, and 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 this might humans have been around right hundreds of thousands of years or whatever. It might be taking us back to some roots of things we already knew, but we've lost th- thanks yeah. to technology and the time, so to speak. Yeah. And politics, and I mean the reason that hemp
1: became agendas, yeah, <laughs> was because it was a couple of reasons. One, it was uh, a Marijuana became illegal because of it was deeply rooted in racism, interestingly enough. And, uh, but hemp became illegal also because the paper, the paper companies, they were like hemp was a, a natural has been used, like the declaration of independence or the constitution was written on hemp. Mm. And so it was like a, a competition. So let's outlaw it along with, you know, marijuana and, uh, and you know, even though it's been used as, you know, medicine for thousands of years.
0: The uh, the more you know kids. Not to be political yeah. or anything, but No. I mean, I think it look, we've gotta pick our heads up and start asking why. Like why is this? Right. Why is it like this? In in you know, because sometimes these things have in maybe in the case of this, that was news to me, but like you know, um, just validate what you're hearing and ask why is that. And if it's something that was written a hundred years ago, go. Well, why did they make that decision then? And does right. it still apply? Right. Like it, and that goes back to the clarity and the stuff we've talked about. Man, like you know, just we've got to start picking our heads up. You know, we've really got to start picking our heads up and start asking. Why more I think, than what we are? Well, we're so we're so busy. Everyone's so busy; they don't have time to think for themselves. Well, what Just, are we busy doing? What are we? What are <laughs> yeah, we so busy yeah. doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Busy surfing, scrolling. You know. Right. Uh, you know. You know. I was out in uh, in
1: so about a month ago. I I I did a a couple other podcasts. So I flew out to Arizona. I did a podcast with Don Fry and and Dan Severin, old old school UFC guys. And then I flew to New York and I did a swim across the Hudson River It was a big fundraiser. So it's about a, three miles of running and about three and a half miles of swimming where you get in the Hudson, you swim out to uh, a barge in front of the Statue of Liberty. You do uh, 100 push ups and 22 pull ups. The 22 pull ups is to to the remembrance of bring recognition to, hey, we have 22 veterans taking their lives every single day. Uh, Then we swim out to over to Ellis Island, do another one hundred and twenty two. Then we swim to lower lower Manhattan and we grab our flags and we run to the 9-11 Memorial and do another one hundred and twenty two. And and then on the way back, I stopped in California and and visited a a friend and business coach of mine, Bedros Koulian. And uh, he's like, yeah, how's it going? I'm like, I'm super busy. He's like, what are you so busy doing? And I was like, I had to like, I had to have an answer like right away. Cause he will call bullshit on you a hundred percent. He's like, everyone's so fucking busy. Like, what are you busy doing? Are you making yeah. millions? Are you doing this or that? I'm like, uh, well, I've been on about, at that time it was about 60, 60 or so podcasts. And uh, I also have like a W2 job and I'm also, he's like, okay, let's, let's see if we can make you a little more efficient. So, but yeah, it's really at the end of the day, people are so busy, but what are you busy doing? Like, really,
0: what are you busy doing? there there's there's busy and there's productive and there right. is a big difference is it busy one delivers with results and one doesn't yeah, yeah exactly so um so who's your typical customer how do they buy from you find you out on socials and all that good stuff uh my my
1: you know everyone has an avatar and my avatar my customer uh, generally I is, is veterans and first responders, but it's not just veterans and first responders. You know, I, I'm focusing on veterans and first responders because that's my background. When I looked in and I saw that, you know, my why is 22 veterans take their lives every single day. And, uh, as I did more kind of, uh, and, and CBD helped me. And I know lots of guys have issues with transitioning from the military into civilian life. CBD helped me. I, I know I have baggage. They have baggage. We all have baggage. Um, and so that's really who I focus on, and and I've gotten a lot of uh, really positive feedback uh, from from that demographic. But you know, I also have you know real estate agents and soccer moms and things like that who use it to really help with issues that they're dealing with, some of their own baggage. And so it's not it's not just for you know veterans, first responders, high performers. It's it's it it really has has helped everyone uh, from all sort of demographics. Um, and then throwing the mindset piece in there. And my, my website, if you're interested in, in CBD is, is, uh, NW for naked warrior dash recovery.com, or you can write in naked warrior recovery, all one word.com. I just changed it from naked warrior recovery because maybe people don't want to write naked in their search engine. So I made it NW dash recovery.com. Cause not safe for work. Respect, I'll, I'll <laughs> respect your privacy
0: <laughs> or whatever you're doing on your computer. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, William, man, it's been an honor to have you on. Um, I appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, your experience. Tons of gold there, man. And it's going to serve those out there listening. Um, Great experience. Like I say, a lot of great advice there. So uh, it's going to serve those who need it. Uh, For those of you who are driving or didn't in the gym, whatever, didn't get to write that down, it'll be in the show notes um, to find William either in the socials on his website and all that stuff. So go check it out. So awesome. William, man, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me here for sure. All right. Thank you. All right. Talk soon.